So here's a fact, okay? Giving creates good feelings. How many of you believe that? Giving gives good feelings, right? It creates good feelings, right? I've heard that from believers and non-believers. I've heard that from people who go to church and don't go to church, right? Giving or doing something positive, giving something away creates good feelings. I remember when I kind of first tangibly felt that, right? I was in middle school and the church that we were at in Indiana where where we were doing sponsoring a child that Christmas season. And so basically they had children through an organization that you could sponsor with X amount of dollars throughout the year. They'd get food and some different things that help them tangibly inside of a third world country. And I remember leading up to that, my parents started asking me if I'd be interested in doing that with them. And so I started to process what that would look like and what that would be like. And I remember the conversation ending up me like this, that I would be willing to give up Christmas gifts so that they can help me with the, the, the giving to this child. I remember in that moment feeling something different, right? You go from asking for Christmas gifts to all of a sudden, hey, could you help me by giving money to a child that is in need? And inside of that moment, I felt something different. Maybe something that you felt before, something that you've experienced before, where giving ended up kind of fulfilling something inside of you. There was something that blossomed maybe, or something that felt good, or something that felt like you wanted to repeat it. It felt different than maybe usual. I was looking up this idea of giving, creating good feelings because I've felt it before, I've experienced it before, but is there something tangibly real with it? And an article I read said this, that generosity, it lowers stress, which is interesting. We live in a very anxiety, depression, stress-filled society. Generosity lowers that. Generosity increases happiness. Generosity, it stomps out depression, the article said, and It said this, I found this to be fascinating, generosity is found to release chemicals in your body that create joy. There's something chemically that goes on in our body when we choose to be generous and to give that actually creates the sensation, the reality of joy inside of us. That's the good feeling. There's something happening inside of me that I cannot do within and of myself in any other way that giving does for me. And today what we're going to see is this. Jesus, I think, agrees with this. It goes deeper than it just gives me a good feeling in my tummy. Jesus is going to show us that generosity, it creates gratitude. And then all of a sudden, gratitude, if you play it out, creates generosity and becomes cyclical. We've been in this conversation called thanks and giving. Yes, because we're in the Thanksgiving season, but ultimately we're diving into the conversation of what does it mean to be generous? What does it mean to give? What does it mean to go above and beyond? What does it mean to live that lifestyle? Because honestly, Jesus talks about it more than a lot of things that he talked about while he was on this earth. The idea of giving or money or generosity was a big topic around Jesus' stories or around his points that he was making. And we want to take time to say, well, if Jesus talked about our money and our hearts, we need to take a moment to look at it because it sounds like it was a pretty important conversation to him. We see this in Matthew 6, Jesus on a famous Sermon on the Mount, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus tells us. Our hearts and our treasure are connected. And if that is real and true, we looked at this week one, 
If that is honestly true and real, then we need to spend time talking about it because there's something to be said there and something that Jesus wanted us to latch on to. Today, I simply just want to do this. I want to look at a heart of generosity that creates inside of us a heart of gratitude. You can write it down like this. A heart of generosity produces a heart of gratitude. A heart of generosity produces a heart of gratitude. You'll see this become full circle because the first week we said this, a heart of gratitude creates a heart of generosity. It's a full circle experience that we're going to see play out in a passage in 2 Corinthians 9. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, it's also going to be on the screen. We're just going to take a look at this passage, flesh it out a little bit. Paul is writing to a church in the city of Corinth. Paul is encouraging them. He's coming alongside of them inside of their generosity, inside of their own experience of being generous to Jewish people in Jerusalem who were in need. And so he's writing to them and he is encouraging them, but he's also coming alongside of them in this conversation. You'll notice that Paul is very specific about what he wants to share with them. This is where he starts in verse 2. For I know your eagerness to help, and I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians. Telling them that since last year you and I were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. This is what I love. Generosity was welling up inside of them. Can you imagine someone boasting about you because of how generous you are? Like that's a very good way to be boasted about, right? Like can you imagine the experience that Paul is having here, having this, this almost pride in This church and what he's doing, he's sharing that with others. There's something happening inside that they're welling up with helpfulness and and want to give. And Paul notes that and he's writing to them to encourage them, but also to spur them on. Because here's the reality, generosity, generosity, right, over time can become weighty. And we can lose sight of why we're generous. And Paul speaks that in verse 5. He says this to the church in Corinth, So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. I'm going to send people to go, be there, to collect the gift, to celebrate the gift. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as a one that's grudgingly given. Right? Paul recognizes that you can go between generosity and kind of a begrudging feeling when it comes to giving. And it could be one moment here, one moment the next. And what Paul is doing is this. I want to make sure that it's just not my presence writing to you and being present with you that I'm coming and now we got to give the Paul. Got to make sure that all the stuff gets done. I want to make sure it comes out of a generous, overflowing heart. He wants to encourage them to be generous because here's the reality. When it comes to giving, we all can have different hearts inside of that conversation. That conversation can well up different conversations inside of our heart or reveal different things about our heart, I think is what Paul is saying. That what he doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to spur on grudging giving, but a generous one. Because here's the reality, giving, giving can become manipulative. Right? I can play the giving game. I can do the thing, the really good thing, so that I get the really good results, per se. I can play the game where I give and good things are supposed to happen back to me. I can play the game where that's what I'm supposed to do. 
That's what I was told to do. It can become legalistic, right? It can be something where I just have to, yep, Jesus wrote about it. God told me about it. Pastor Joel talked about it. I got to do it. I can play the game of it. It can become begrudging. (sighs) Got to do it again. Got to fill it out again. I got to give again. They're asking for it again, right? Or I see this need over here and I I got to do it again, right? What Paul is going after is the heart. What we saw in week one and what we saw in week two is Jesus wants something for us, not just from us. If we think this giving conversation is just about money, 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 and give more and do this, we've missed the points. We've missed the points. What Paul is introducing is a conversation to people who are living generously and people who are wanting to help and people who are running in, but he wants to make sure whether their giving looks great or their giving doesn't look great, that their heart is centered either way. Our heart can get out of whack very quickly if we're not careful. So this is where Paul goes in verse 7. Paul says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love that. Because what Paul is doing is he's transferring what Jesus talked about with money and the heart and our treasures are connected, and he's giving some phrase to it. He's saying if your heart is in it, if you understand what Jesus has done for you, then cheerful giving is the response, and God loves it not because he's getting something from you, but because you have understood at a deeper level what he wants for you and how he wants to relate to you and how he wants to have a relationship with you and what he's done for you. God loves a cheerful giver, and he's doing something inside of us through that. So what does it mean to be a cheerful giver? That's what we're going to look at today. What does it mean to be a cheerful giver? What is the heart of that? How does it visibly look? How do I interact with God inside of that? My prayer for us is this, is that not just us, but our community and others would boast about the generosity of our church Not for our name, not for the sake of promoting, not for the sake of marketing, but purely for the sake of people seeing something different that isn't often seen, that is connected to Jesus. And I can tell you in here, there are people I boast about all the time because of the generosity of their life. Let me just say thank you for that. Because you're making a difference whether you know it or not. So what does it mean to be a cheerful giver? What does it mean to hold tightly to who Jesus is inside of my generosity and giving? Well, Paul continues, and he starts in verse 6, right before verse 7 here. He says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. We're going to pick that apart a little bit, but this is what I want you to write down. A cheerful giver releases to God, not holds out from God. A cheerful giver releases to God, not holds out from God. Okay, now this verse, right, we're going to dive into a little bit, can be misconstrued often or can be used to kind of benefit ourselves. What this verse is talking about is talking more about trusting God than accumulating treasures for myself. It's talking more about trusting God than accumulating treasures for myself. This passage oftentimes, unfortunately, 
I think can be read inside of a prosperity gospel lens or a health and wellness lens. If I do all the right things, if I am generous, then I will receive two times more than that. If I'm generous, then I'll prosper inside of this life more than that. If I'm generous, then I won't get sick. If I'm generous, then everything will go well. This belief of prosperity gospel is that the more I give, the more prosperous I will be. It's a Jesus plus gospel. And when I read it through the lens of prosperity, I read it selfishly. I give so that I get. So this becomes a life application wisdom that as long as I'm doing the right things, then I should receive the right things in return. And all of a sudden, what happens is I can turn the dial on this passage and read it from a lens that's more concerned about what I'm getting than where my heart is at with Jesus inside of it. When I read it through a Jesus gospel lens, when I read it through the lens of Jesus, I read it trustingly. I think Paul writes with the story of God in mind. And I think he writes, not just spiritually, but even materially with this. Don't get me wrong. I don't think it's just a spiritual life wisdom thing. I think he's talking material, physical things also. But here's what I think he sees inside of this passage and why he writes it. He wants us to have a foundation of trust. A cheerful giver has a foundation of trust, just like I experienced with my son a couple weeks ago at the water park we were at. Me and my son were at the water park uh, down Splash Harbor down in Belleville, which is like gas station, gas station, gas station, water park. And you're like, what in the world's happening right here? But it's a wonderful thing. If you have little kids, it'd be well worth the visit. We went down there for a couple nights, and my son was mesmerized by the, the water slide. Right? There's this pool, there's all these activities, but the water slide was where it was at. And so we were there the first night, and we, within you know, 10 minutes of getting into our room, he's like, let's go. And I'm like, let's go, man. So we get our swim trunks on, we're ready to go. And we get out there, and we start swimming, right? We start hanging out, and he's like, Daddy, I want to go on the water slide. I'm like, this is awesome, right? This is so good, right? And so we go to the water slide, I'm like, what do you want to do with this? And he's like, I want to sit on your lap. Okay, we'll go on the water slide, we'll sit on Daddy's lap. So we do that a few times, we do that a few times. And after a while... I convinced him to try it on his own. But there was a stipulation. It's a stipulation that daddy was at the bottom of the water slide to catch him. Now, what I didn't realize is he goes way faster by himself than he went with me. And so he was like a bullet coming out of a gun in that water slide. And so I'm like catching, forcefully catching this kid at like 25 miles per hour. And I'm like, he's going to like take my arms with me, right? And so that was happening. And all of a sudden, he's up there. And all of a sudden, he's up there, and the first time he goes down, right? And he, he's standing kind of on the edge, about to step into the water slide, right? And he looks down, and he goes like this, right? And I go like this. And he's like, okay, right? I go like this, go like this. We're giving, and he gets on, and he goes. And I caught him. And then he goes again, and I caught him. And he goes again, and I caught him, Right? And it kept happening, and that was his favorite part of the entire experience. And I think what this passage is imploring to us, more than what do I get out of my giving, I think what Paul is introducing to us is God is going to catch us. That if I am willingly giving the things that he has first and foremost gave to me, that I can trust him to meet any and every need beyond what I could ever imagine. 
reaping generously doesn't always mean I'm going to get the fancy car, the fancy house, that I'm not going to get sick. That's not what I think he's talking about. I think what he's talking about is this relationship that forms, that as you stand at the top of the water slide and you go down to God like this, we good? We good? And he says, yep, you're good. Send it. And you run down the water slide, slide down the water slide. He's going to catch you every single time. And I think that first and foremost tells me something spiritually. That if I'm willing to reap, or if I'm willing to sow generously, I'm going to reap generously inside of a trusting relationship with the God of the universe who wants more for me than he wants from me. But secondly is this, and this is a tightrope. What I'm not talking about is a prosperity gospel, but what I am saying is this, and you can, it is, it is time and time again I've heard this story, that if I am continually sowing generously, I can trust that God is going to use that in ways beyond what I could imagine and that he is going to continually provide for my needs. That I will see an eternal reaping of generosity, that I will see fruit beyond what I could imagine and I will trust that he is going to provide physically and materially for me, not just so that I can sit on it, we'll get to this, but so I can continue to sow generously inside of that because God loves you, cares about you, he wants your heart inside of this. And when I sow sparingly, it tells me more than just, I don't know if I have enough. It tells me I'm not trusting God inside of it. If I'm sowing sparingly, it tells me I don't trust God, who owns it all and has given it all, who owns it all and has given it all already to me. When I reap or when I sow generously, First and foremost, it is telling God I trust him and I want to move with him and I trust him even when it doesn't come back to me like I think it's going to come back to me. I continue to trust him in that. In the moments that generosity flows through, I celebrate with gratitude. He promises fruit eternally, materially. It will not come back empty. Philippians 4.19, Paul writing to the Philippian church writes this, in prison, my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Isn't there such a deep promise when you're a child of God, when you're a part of his kingdom, when you're a part of his plan and promise that he will take care of you. He'll take care of you. And what he is inviting you is not give me more of your stuff, but trust me more in this. Because through Jesus, I promise to take care of your needs. I promise I'll be there for you. I promise that I'll walk alongside of you. Anticipating prosperity is foolish and selfish, honestly, inside this conversation, because if we were to get to the foundation of it all, in Christ, I have all I need. Anything beyond that is a miracle and a blessing beyond our wildest dreams. You and I exist inside of a world where we are blessed every single day from the creator, and he has nothing in return. He just gives. We have a chance to relate to him inside of our giving. So the question I would ask is this, do I hold out with fear or trust the Lord in my giving? Am I up there on the water slide going like this and sending it? Or am I taking a step back because I'm fearful that I'm not sure, I don't know, I'm worried. It tells me who the God of my life is inside of that. If we keep going in verse 8 through 11, right after 
verses 6 and 7, we see Paul continue. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. I love that passage. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. What is he saying here? A cheerful giver is a river, not a pond of blessing. It's a river, not a pond of blessing. Trying to use some illustration there, okay? God blesses abundantly. How? Spiritually? Yes. Through Jesus? Yes. And materially? Yes. I believe he does that also. Why? Why is he willing to bless us abundantly? God is able to bless us, is able to grace us, another translation, able to give in unique ways. Because here's the reality. Inside of this conversation, I think first, he blesses us with contentment. I, I, I think you got to read this, right? Sometimes we read this and we, we like the verse, bless, bless you abundantly. And we're like, yeah, with all the things I want. And that he's going to promise this and got this. Well, if you dig into it, what you end up seeing is, the first blessing that you and I experience by trusting in God and being generous towards him is a season and life of contentment. He will bless you with contentment. Why? Because who owns everything? God. Who has given everything? God. And it's all by God's grace that you and I receive any of it. Like well, We don't deserve any of it. And he lavishes on to us. And honestly, like I just said, Jesus is the first and foremost blessing. That, that you and I in our life, the end goal is that we would see Jesus first and foremost and that he would be all that we need and anything else should point us back to that, should be a ray pointing us back to the sun. And so inside of blessing us abundantly, the first gift that God gives us is a, a contentment that we can live with, that in Jesus we have all we need, whether we're poor or whether we're rich, where we have plenty or we don't, whether things are going well at work or not, that there is a contentment to be had inside of that. I believe he gives us contentment in so many ways. He gives to us in so many ways, yeah, financially, but relationally, maybe career, maybe it's gifting, maybe it's talents. Have you ever sat back and just enjoyed the fruits of the blessing of what God has given you, not just financially, but in all sorts of ways. Secondly, though, he doesn't just bless the giver with contentment. Second, he blesses the giver to give more. Interesting. I think it's interesting the way that Paul writes this. The blessing is not meant to be a reservoir in my life that I can promote and sit on, but should be a river to bless others the blessing, as Paul would write, should flow into every good work and generosity in every situation. Here's the reality. My heart, which is full of envy and discontentment and is full of wanting things, likes the idea of having a pond in my backyard. I had friends growing up, their family built a house and they created a pond in the front yard. And literally they dug a giant hole and just waited 
for it to fill up with water. It was the most disgusting-looking thing in the world, right? It was just mud and water and leeches, and who else knows what was in there, right? And we would swim in it, right? And that was theirs. It was their pond, but it didn't move very much, right? And the reality is this. When it comes to the blessings we receive from God, which is way more than just financial, I'm blessed with two kids and a wife. I'm blessed with a wonderful congregation. I'm blessed with a home. I'm blessed with two cars that I don't deserve and allow me to get around to different places. I'm blessed with friendships. I'm blessed with food on the table. I'm blessed to wake up every day. I'm blessed to have multiple translations of the Bible. I'm blessed to have different restaurants I can choose from. I'm blessed to have friends that gift us with things, right? There are blessings upon blessings. Don't just sit on the financial stuff. But the moment that that becomes a pond gets real yucky gets real selfish gets real messy doesn't look pretty because all of a sudden my heart it becomes just about me and how much I can collect how much I can sit on how much just I can sit with how much I can have a river flowing desire is that it wouldn't just be a pond but it would be a river a river flowing that ultimately the grace and generosity of God leads me to be generous to others. The blessing that he abundantly pours onto us should lead us to what? Every good work and generous gift to others. The blessing is not about what is it in for me, but how can I be generous to others? A probably tangible example, if you don't know this, me and my wife and my family, kids are a part of this too, we're in the process of adoption, which some things moved this week in some pretty awesome ways. And our initial thought process as we were praying and wrestling with adopting and where do we go with this and what's going on here, we sat down and said, we are in a prime position to adopt. The blessing of our family and the blessing of our extended family, the blessing of this family, the blessing of having a home and, and having the ability to do this we were in a position where it was a no-brainer. Where I think the other option for us was God called us to this and we could have just said, ah, we just don't want to wreck all the things that are going on here. That could be really fun to see that go and it could be really easy to see that go, right? But rather we said, God, okay, break our hearts to become a river. Where do you want us to be? Listen, it, it may not be adoption for you. I'm not saying that's an application across the board, but where is God calling you to that you've been stuck in the pond that you know you need to start digging and make a river? Where have you been blessed so abundantly? And don't just think financially. I think we sit there too often. We're like, I can't do it. Where have you been blessed relationally? Where have you been blessed in your career? Where have you been blessed with friends? Where have you been blessed with materials? Where have you been blessed to allow it to river out to others that are in need? A cheerful giver looks beyond and says, who could benefit from what God has benefited me with? Who could benefit from what Jesus is doing inside of my life? The question I would ask is, am I hoarding the blessings of Jesus or generously giving them away? Because ultimately what happens is this, inside of my generosity, what should happen is a deep gratitude should start to form. That good feeling, spiritually we would call thankfulness, gratitude, it's something different. 
It is recognizing that first and foremost, you have been lavished with a gift that you cannot get on your own. And that's where Paul goes in 2 Corinthians 9. This is what he says to finish, and then we'll close. 9, verse 12 through 15. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What would I have you write down? A cheerful giver is overwhelmed continually by God's indescribable gift. Can't even put words to it. Think about it like this. I, I think if, if you've been in church for a while, th this is my story. I'm 29 years old. I've been in church 29 years. I grew up in a pastor's home. I, I did all of the church activities. I know I'm a pastor now, right? You're like, it's just been my life. And this, this point, don't, don't miss it. It just becomes, this is the point that we miss way too often. It just becomes old hat. It just becomes something, oh yeah, we, Jesus, yep, the gift, yep, I said that prayer, you know, months ago, years ago, decades ago, whatever it may be. And what we often lose sight of first and foremost, it's not the church activities, it's not the things that we need to do well, it's the gift that we've been blessed with in and through Jesus Christ. Think about it like this. I, I don't know how many of you are Amazon shoppers. I am. And right now in this, the hot season of Christmas shopping, right, which it's coming. You all booed me two weeks ago. It's here now. Boo you, right? I'm shopping on Amazon. I'm shopping on Amazon because that's just easy for me to get some of my wife's gifts. And it, it very quickly becomes Christmas every day in our house as I open her gifts up from the Amazon guy, right? I'm like, ooh, what's here, you know? And I open it up. But just imagine this for a second, because we live in this world. Just imagine someone who knew you well enough, who wanted to bless you well enough, sent you a package, an Amazon package, every day. Every day, whether little, big, it don't matter, that met a need that you were going to run into that day, right? Just think about it. Like, think about going to your porch and seeing an Amazon package, opening it up and being like, wow, that's there. Wow, I, they knew I would need this. They knew I'd need tissues today. They knew I would need chicken noodle soup today. They knew I would need this movie today. They knew I needed, you know, Swiffer sweepers today. I don't know. Inside of that, we can get real excited, right? Right? The package is coming. It's here. How silly would it be if you just started accumulating packages in your basement, never opening them up? Can you just imagine that if someone sent there, like, how are those things going? Don't know. How about that really big one I got you? Ah, didn't open it. Package looks real nice. Thanks for the thought. It's in the basement right now. And my worry is this, is that that is what we do with Jesus and the gospel. You realize in Lamentations 3, right of Lamentations tells us that God's mercies are new every morning. Just think about it. Every morning, you get a gift spiritually at your door. And you have the choice to either open that gift up or put it in the basement. Now, if you've never said yes to Jesus before, we here believe that God loves you. 
more than you and I can express in words, indescribable. He loves you. He cares for you. He, he created you of purpose and meaning. And he wants you to play that out and have relationship with him. We believe sin separated us from the holy God of the universe. That our sin has created a very tangible separation from having a relationship with him. And we are chasing after other things to try to fulfill that to no, no answer. And the God of the universe decided to send his only son some 2,000 years ago as a gift to us to live the perfect life you and I could not live, die the death that we deserved, and rise again so that you and I could have life. And he invites you to open that gift maybe for the first time. We, we say it here by say yes to Jesus. Just open that gift for the first time. Some of you are chasing after your own ways of doing it, your own saviors. You're trying to do it yourself. And you're trying hard and hard and hard, right? And he's like, I've done it for you. Jesus mended, fulfilled, brought back the relationship with God that you and I could not do in ourselves. And he presents it in and through his life, death, and resurrection. Says, for some of you, that package, maybe this is the first time it's entered your doorway. And he's inviting you to open it. But don't miss this. If you have said yes to Jesus decades ago, days ago, months ago, don't matter when, that package is not a one-time thing. It is a daily thing. You and I in and of ourselves cannot love each other well. I, I dislike my neighbors more than I love my neighbors oftentimes. I envy more than I'm content I look for ways to get out of things the easy way instead of just plugging through and doing the right thing. I have a hard time parenting sometimes because they get in the way of what I want to do. I'm impatient with people. And all of those things will continue to be a struggle. And the gift of Jesus is the only answer to living life on this earth. His mercies are new every morning is not just a pithy statement. Oh yeah, Jesus died for me. He died, rose again, forgave you. He has given you new identity, new community, new mission to live life out of. It is a gift that you can enter into life and say, I, God, need your grace today through Jesus Christ to interact with what's going on. Listen, a cheerful giver is also a cheerful recipient. A cheerful giver is a cheerful gift opener to what God has given us through Jesus. And if I am willing to open that gift every day, I'm not saying that you, you have to get saved every day. Don't get me, I'm not saying that. I'm saying the gospel should be the everyday gift that you and I Live life out of. You cannot say yes to Jesus here and then assume the rest of your life you can do it on your own all of a sudden. It's the gift. All of a sudden, as I embrace Jesus' grace, I run into that. And here's the reality. Out of that experience of receiving his grace, I give cheerfully. And my cheerful giving becomes an act of gratitude. We give out of gratitude, not for anything in return. Did you, did you notice what Paul was saying? He's saying there will be a tangible thankfulness that arises out of your generosity. 
a tangible thankfulness that arises out of your generosity, people are going to praise God. And it should start inside of your life. Giving leads to gratitude, but our cheerful, our cheerful giving is an act of obedience. Listen, we obey from, not for his grace. We obey from, not for his grace. Listen, giving is a tangible obedience and response to the grace God has shown us through Jesus. It is saying, I recognize what you've done for me and I want to give what is yours first and foremost to recognize that. And did you see what he said? It is a confession of our faith. Our level of generosity, it will share with people what we believe about the generosity of God. If I'm stingy, it tells people what I believe about God. If I'm generous, it tells them what I believe about God. My obedience to that is a key picture of the gospel. And then our cheerful giving is an act of grace. Honestly, to others, we give to the extent that we recognize what we've received. I will give to the things for me I only give partially. When I recognize the sacrifice that Jesus died for me, all of a sudden my giving perspective changes. And what Paul is inviting us to do is to see the gospel inside of all this. The cost that Jesus went for us, the gift that he offered us, is beyond what you and I can do on our own. He met the deepest need inside of our souls. And at the same time, he gave us something of greater value that you and I could never even come close to touching. We're okay with meeting the deepest need, Right? We're like, yeah, I can't do it on my own. Yep, I understand that. But sometimes we still try to meet that value by being good enough, trying hard enough. The gospel tells me I cannot do it on my own. As the band comes up and we close here, let me read you a passage and then just give you three very quick applications. Ephesians 2, 4 through 9 tells me this. Because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God raised us up with Christ, seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by works so that no one can boast. Listen, this idea of generosity starts with recognizing that I have received a gift that I could not work for, do enough for, or attain on my own. And his grace points us to the incomparable riches of his kindness and his love towards us. The God of the universe gracing us with his son so that we could live life with him. So what do I do with this? The application is not fancy, okay? It's the same application I said week one. So if you were here, it's the same. Pray about your money, okay? You have to start there. If you're not talking to God about your money, 
right? Generosity isn't going to become tangibly something inside of your life. You're not asking God where it should be. Right? You're not inviting God to be a part of it. The conversation generosity needs to be put on the back burner. You need to start with a conversation. So pray about your money. Secondly, you need to practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. First and foremost, over the gospel. We need to open the gift that God has given us every morning. I do it in the form of gospel passages. Romans 3 is a good one. Ephesians 2 is a good one. Titus 3, Philippians 2, 1 Corinthians 15, Isaiah 53. Great passages. Open the gift of God's word, explaining the gospel. Praise him. And then at night, give thanks to God for what happened during the day. The interruptions, the, the fun moments, the moments that shocked you, whatever it may be. And lastly is this, plan for generosity. Plan for it. Well, how? What I would say is this. You start by looking at the gospel to plan your generosity. Let the gospel move your hearts inside of the giving conversation. Then from there, there's some practical things. Think percentage, not dollar amount. Think about planning it and progressively walking through it. But allow the gospel to be the motivator of the giving. Thank you for loving us, leading us. Thank you for being so kind to us. Thank you for a room full of generous people who have been generous towards me and towards others and have created a boastfulness across not just our setting, but others for the sake of the gospel. Thank you for how you're moving. Move us into these Christmas baskets and into this Christmas season. Father, may you challenge our hearts with this conversation. Help us to cheerfully lean into generosity. And ultimately, would you allow us to see the gospel at the center of it all? Father, we're grateful for you. Thank you for your love and grace. We pray this in your name.